This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. What do being a litigator, a fashion writer, and running a PR advertising marketing agency all have in common? One name, Rachel Solomon, a woman who felt she was in such a career mismatch after law school that she set out to create a new life and in so doing, found herself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and I'm so excited to have Rachel Solomon joining me today. Rachel, it's great to have you here on the show. It's great to be here, Liz. I'm so excited to talk with you. Well, Rachel is the founder and content director for Honor Code Creative in the Boston area. I named just a couple of hats that you wear at Honor Code Creative. Share with our listeners for us, what exactly does your company do? Honor Code Creative, we are a branding, uh, you did a pretty good job of encapsulating it all, a branding, (laughs) (laughs) advertising and marketing agency. I use agency loosely because we're not at all a traditional agency setup. We are two female partners at the helm and about 40 freelancers who we've collected, curated over our years as leaders in this world. Well, I love the fact that it's a woman-owned agency. Let's just start right there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we love it too. You have a very distinct approach to your business and the culture that you've created there, which was born out of your own search for truth and authenticity. Explain what that means. I think that telling the truth and being authentic and real in yourself and in what you do, that is something that's extremely important to me. And it's driven me throughout my career. And I think the biggest mismatch, as you described, has been where I couldn't be my true self or I saw game playing in the workplace, um, people not telling the truth. What's really important to me is collaboration. And that requires you to tell the truth to people that you work with. I was in various jobs where I saw people, you know, just in really unnecessary bullying, sneaky stuff and you know, not giving credit to people. And you know, the older I got, the less tolerance I had for that. And I really believed that not only was this sort of the person I am coming through, but also it affected the work that I believed that a better quality of work could be achieved if people were more authentic and kind with each other. And that was the foundation of this business. I left where I was and I distinctively named it Honor Code Creative so that I would kind of hold myself to that throughout the lifetime of this business. And I would draw others who felt the same. Mm, I love that. But this certainly is not your first career. You graduated from Penn State, magna cum laude, as an English major. What did you think you wanted to do, or should I say, what did you think you were supposed to do with that particular degree? I know, right? I graduated from University of Pennsylvania. I followed in my father's footsteps. He did the exact same. You know, I had watched too much L.A. Law, I think. I wanted to be this divorce lawyer that would avenge the rights of women. I loved words, and I wanted to build a career where I could count on no one but myself to have the income that I wanted. And so I think that was a fast track to legal practice of all things. And of course, you followed in your dad's footsteps. But I understand that you you were great in the role, and you were you were tough in those depositions. But then you (laughs) then you'd run to the ladies' room after some of those and cry your eyes out. Why did that happen? What was going on in your head? 
there are people who can really, I mean, I think I really turned it on. And I think probably a lot of people can do that. They can sort of turn on this persona and they can succeed, you know, with difficulty doing these things. But I always felt like I was faking it. Like I had this, you know, not just the normal imposter syndrome, but I had two different personhoods inside. So I could go into a deposition and put on this scary face and make these arguments, but I could only sustain it so long. And immediately afterwards, the emotional Rachel would come out and I would hate having to act in that way. And I would hate being part of this world of sort of mistreatment of people and loss of humanity. And so the, the little holes would come, would start getting poked um, more and more. And I just felt mm-hmm. like I had to have a deeper connection with what I was doing. Some people can just turn it on all day like that and then go home and have a bath of wine with their significant other and their other self takes over. For me, I wanted one united self. I'm wondering, as I'm hearing you say that, because you mentioned imposter syndrome, which so many women in particular suffer from, did you feel in any way, Rachel, like you were a failure for not wanting to stay being a lawyer? I think there's definitely that part that you had this path in your mind, Ivy League, whatever it is. And every time you deviate from that path, you think, is this what I should be doing? But I really tried a lot of different avenues within the law before I gave up. Mm. And that helped me. That helped me not feel that I had this duty to take that path I had planned. You know, I had tried multiple forms of practice and I knew that I could say to myself at night, you gave it a go. This ain't for you, girl. (laughs) Well, you call yourself a smart quitter. You ripped off the (laughs) Band-Aid and you left the legal profession. A very brave thing to do. Did you have another job to go to? Because I don't think you did right away. That had to be terrifying. Yeah, you'll be shocked when you hear this. I went from that last legal job, which was obviously well-paying and an office and an assistant. And my first job, I mean, I had started to do some freelance writing. So I was starting to pick up freelance gigs. But my first job job was as a copywriter at an international legal publishing house. (laughs) And I... (laughs) <laughs> I had no, no insurance and I was paid $8 an hour. <laughs> so, so you go um, from this huge salary to $8 an hour. I, yep. Incredibly scary <laughs> and very brave of you, I might add. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, it was terrifying. I was lucky at the time that I was married at the time. I later, we later got a divorce, but I do have to say that because it is easier when you have that second income. Sure. And I have to acknowledge that. It's much harder to make a change like that when you're, uh, when you're single. Indeed. You know? But at that mm-hmm. point, you are now beginning to follow what I'm going to call your first love and your passion, which is writing. And you somehow managed to cobble a career out of it by selling some articles and magazines. And you even authored a book, Number <laughs> Six Fumbles. And this is, what, this is what the description of the book says, and, and I'm quoting from Amazon here. In this powerful novel, an accomplished young woman, suddenly seized by self-doubt, falls headfirst into a fervent explosion of merits and pitfalls of being good. <laughs> what is this story about? <laughs> I know, it has nothing to do with me whatsoever. Oh, I was um, going to ask no. you that. So it's, it's not based on personal experience. Okay, we want to get that out there. <laughs> no, I'm totally being facetious. I think okay. it totally is based on personal experience and you're an astute observer. I really wanted to write what I knew. And this was really a takeoff of some time that I spent at Penn where I had a week where I just felt totally anchorless. It was like, and it went on, it was like one week of feeling just anchorless at school. And I kind of explored that, you know, what if there was a book that was just about this one week and what could that week be for this character that I had developed? 
So it was, I mean, amazingly fun to write and complete and see published was amazing. And the happiness that I had while I was working on that was another one of those things because I was working on that as a lawyer. Uh, The happiness, comparing that to my, you know, filing a billion dollar case, it really brought to light how much, how much of a mismatch it was. And the exploits of Rebecca, if I'm remembering the name correctly, uh, (laughs) we'll leave that to the the imagination of our listeners and they can go and get the book (laughs) if they want to. Number six fumbles. (laughs) I love it. Are you writing any other novels? Because if you were doing that when you were practicing law, have you, (laughs) have you worked on any other books that we need to be aware of for the future? It's funny. I mean, I sometimes think about it and I think that probably at some point I will be doing that. But right now, Honor Code is three and maybe three and a half years old. And it's so fulfilling. And we're doing so much as a business, you know, as entrepreneurs is is a full-time job building the business. And I feel so thoroughly engaged that I haven't felt like I do blog, but I haven't felt this desire to do another novel. But that said, I mean, when I'm Talk to me when I'm 65 in Miami. I don't know. You know? <laughs> oh. All right. Well, so you, you've left the legal profession. You've started yep. doing some writing. And about this mm-hmm. time, the dot-com thing is happening. And of course, your other passion, I'm going to have to say, is fashion. You end up working yes. for Rue La La. What yes. was that like? It was amazing. What I started working for was actually Smart Bargains, and which out of Smart Bargains was born Rue La La. So I got to be there for the whole birth of this business. And because it was sort of, as you pointed out, my umpteenth or whatever it was at that point career, I was much older. I think I was the oldest person at Rue La La. But it was just a hugely life-changing experience to be part of the birth of this business with incredible leadership, both Ben Fishman who was the CEO, and Cheryl Kaplan, who was executive vice president, were both just really compelling leaders from whom I learned so much. They changed my career trajectory, and I continue to draw from what they taught me to this day. One thing you just mentioned also, that you were the oldest one there, because in the midst (laughs) of all of this, right after 9-11, not only were the oldest one there, but you had adopted a son from Korea. And that had to have a huge impact on your life as well. So you're the oldest one at this company. It's a startup (laughs) company. You've got a young child from Korea. You adopt a son. Wow. That's a lot going on all at the same time. It was. And I had also split up with my husband with whom I adopted my son. And so I was doing it as a single mom. So I didn't have someone who I could say, okay, you know, in dot-com world, and we're going to be working all night, you know, I need you to pick up Jack. I had to do that. And I was very lucky when I interviewed at Ulala, I did the huge no-no of saying, I just blurted out in my interview with the CEO, I have to leave at five every day because I have a son <laughs> and I'm a single mother. I have a son. Um, yeah, that's one for the do not book. Well, um, but you know, a lot of parents, Rachel, can relate to that. They're in similar situations, but you at least right. had a boss who understood and, and really kind of said, hey, it's five o'clock, get out of here, Right. Right. He totally did. I mean, I let, I blurted that out and he said, yes, exactly that. Not only, you know, he's a family man. He said, not only is that okay, but if I'm in a meeting with you at five o'clock, I'm going to tell you to leave. It was just amazing that I had that and it was hugely helpful. Yeah. And then on the side, there was a new publication. It was short lived, but it was created by the people who did the Metro and it was called Boston Now. And I was their fashion beauty editor also at the same time. So I would... (laughs) <laughs> go bananas, give it my all, all day, supremely passionate, learning.com world, race to the daycare center, all sweaty, <laughs> race home, feed Jack, put him to bed, make a huge pot of coffee, 
do the magazine and then do whatever other work I had to do for Rue La La. Oh my goodness. I don't know how I did it. Well, I don't either as I'm sitting here listening to you. I'm exhausted just hearing about it. And at the same time, I mean, you know, as people would hear this, they think, oh, that sounds so successful and so exciting. But life isn't all roses. What were some of your biggest failures or at least one of them? And and how did that experience propel you forward in your life? I mean, obviously, I was going through this challenging turmoil. It took me, I'm now remarried on the second marriage, and it, and it took me a long time to find my soulmate, longer than most. So there was that. I think at the very beginning of starting Ruella, you know, there was sort of like your parents' expectations. I'm an only child. I'm very close to my parents. And my dad was saying, I don't think this online shopping thing is going to take off. And, you know, <laughs> maybe we should stay a lawyer. Um, And you always feel, too, I think every parent can relate that you're giving something short shrift. I kind of had to prioritize. And parenting for me meant that um, my son knows that I love him unconditionally, but it doesn't mean that I do every single thing right. You know, it doesn't mean that I know every single thing that's going on at the school. Like I have him in a good school and I love him unconditionally and powerfully. But I drop balls. I miss emails. I was never perfect in any of these things. Well, um, you're human. And I think that's what people forget <laughs> is that yeah. we are human beings and, and we're not perfect. None of us is perfect. How yeah. supportive were your parents when you did leave the legal profession, especially with your dad being an attorney himself? It wasn't about, we want to be able to tell our friends that you're a lawyer. I think it was just about that they just were protective mm-hmm. now. And they saw that, you know, I was now had to pay for my own everything by myself. I didn't have the backup of being with a spouse. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, they worried for me and I had a child. So they definitely were concerned, but they jumped right on board and had Mm -hmm. my back. And I'm really grateful for that. And now they're really proud of this business we developed. And whenever something launches or they see something that they know that I was behind, they always call me or they email their friends and say, Rachel firm did this billboard, drive by it, you know. Oh, um, it's really nice. That's and really adorable, actually. <laughs> it is. We have a very, very, very close relationship, and it's one of my greatest treats mm-hmm. to have. One of the reasons I love your story so much is because you have recreated yourself over and over again. You've had several chapters. As you look back over your life, Can you connect the dots, the themes, and the patterns that have moved you from one chapter to another? And if so, what are they? I've really learned over the course of my life to go with my gut. I think that I've learned if something is so hard for you, it it might not be right for you. The things that I'm the best at are the things where I should most naturally be. Listen to your body. I mean, some of these jobs that weren't for me, I had horrible stomach aches and headaches. Mm. Um... And and there's like a lightness now that I know is really and truly the right fit. I've learned that I just cannot hide who I am. I have to to be me with flaws and all and to understand and celebrate what I'm good at and find the right people to help me in the things that are harder. And I've learned too, I think there's there was someone that I worked with at Rue who really taught me this, that there's not a mistake that you're going to make that can't be undone. I think I lived in fear of making a mistake especially in the law, you know, not, not filing something in time or, but in this practice that I'm in, luckily I'm not in neurosurgery. (laughs) Um, when you're really doing your best and you're really passionate and you're doing something that you're good at and where the skills are a right match, 
there's nothing to be worried about. I don't think we should have those Sunday night scaries. I think that is very much a sign that you're in the wrong place and you have to make a change. Well, and that's what really this show is all about, is people who do take those chances to follow their purpose, their passion, to seek out how can I live my best life? What is your definition of living your best life? I think for me, living my best life means waking up every day excited to get out of bed and feeling that I have one self. I'm not divided into a self I present here in a meeting and a self I present there. There is one self. It's aligned. I wake up every day and I try to do the right thing and I try to be a good person. Doesn't mean I always get it right, but I'm going to wake up and try every day. And that is how I now feel at 50. I know how to apologize when I get it wrong. I've always been a live to work, not a work to live. So I think you can be successful in living your best life if you are a work to live. That can just mean that you get through the day, you make great money that gives you freedom to travel and drink great wine. And (laughs) at five o'clock, you're a different person. That might be someone's best life. But for me, part of it was the alignment in my career, doing something that I feel I'm adding value, I'm helping people, I'm engaged and I'm offering something of worth to feel that I'm being authentic. At 50, I have a little bit of memory loss. And I think to myself, thank goodness I don't have to keep up with all these multiple personas and telling people one thing and not the other thing, because I can only remember one story. So it, <laughs> it works out just perfectly. <laughs> the truth usually wins out, doesn't it? Exactly. Oh, my goodness. A hundred percent. If you're looking for someone to help you build your brand, Rachel and her team at HonorCodeCreative.com can certainly help. Again, that's HonorCodeCreative.com. Rachel, thank you so much for sharing your story with all of us today. My hope is always that these stories are going to give our listeners the courage to take that risk to recreate their lives and begin living their best life. It's just been great to chat with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. It's been my pleasure. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. I invite you to listen to all of my other shows with fabulous guests who have recreated their own lives. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.